0: Are you a small business struggling to cut through the noise? Podcast advertising with ACAST gets your business heard by the right audience at the right time. With more than 92,000 shows listened to by millions of engaged listeners worldwide, we reach customers for every business or brand. ACAST's self-serve ad platform makes it seriously easy to create a podcast advertising campaign. Choose your target audience, set your budget, and start getting your business heard by your ideal customer. Our podcasts are available on every app, so you can reach customers wherever they're listening. And with campaigns starting at just $250, you can make a big impact without breaking the bank. So why wait? Reach your audience and grow your business with podcast advertising with Acast. Visit go.acast.com slash
1: advertise. CT wants to eat Adam's head. Paula is asked to save everyone except for herself. Mark coasts to the end like only the Godfather can. Multiple love triangles are born and engagement is nearly called off. Rachel and Landon kick everyone's ass except only one of them actually wins in the end. And Did I mention that CT wanted to eat Adam's head? It's the Duel 2 full season rewatch and recap coming up right now. What up my fellow challenge lovers welcome to the challenge historian where we dive deep into all things the challenge past present or future if it's happening in the challenge universe then we are here to document it. I am your host and dedicated challenge historian Jacob Halliball thank you so very very much for being here with me today. On today's podcast, we're going back in time to 2009, what a great year I was graduating high school and the Challenge cast members were headed off to New Zealand, that's right, we're recapping all things Duel 2, the rewatch series skipped ahead for a second there, but now we're back to the chronological order, we're talking season 17, the Duel 2. I love this season, I had a very high opinion in my mind of this season in total and then I did this latest rewatch of it, you know, in preparation for this very podcast. And honestly, I've got to say, I'm a little bit shocked at where I landed this time around. It was a little bit of a different viewing experience than what I had remembered in my head of a season that I've watched, I would say, six or seven times, at least, is one of my most watched seasons ever. It felt a little different this time around. That means there is a lot to discuss, and we shall do so using our typical solo host rewatch series template. some high-level state of the challenge basics, evolution stuff to start, breaking down the biggest storylines of the season after that, then handing out all of the the many wonderful awards as always, all the way up to and including the full season MVP and then closing it out with the final season grade where it stands in the all-time pantheon of Challenge Seasons. Before we begin, a couple quick programming reminders. Challenge Untold History wrapped up on Wednesday, episodes 5 and 6. That recap is out. All three recap episodes over the last three weeks are out for you to catch up on listen to at your convenience. And since that show has ended, that means that next week is the premiere of Season 38, Ride or Dies, the flagship is back, baby, let's go. Of course, I will be recapping that every Wednesday night immediately after the episode airs, so that'll be out, you know, super late Wednesday night, if not into the wee hours of Thursday morning, ready for you on your Thursday morning computes for the foreseeable future. I don't know how many episodes this season's gonna be, but every single one, we will recap right after the fact. Ride or Dies recaps late Wednesday nights from now on and then, the Rewatch series will also continue back on its regular Monday date next Monday, three days from now with The Ruins, and then we'll be one a week on Mondays, the way it had been for a while there, for the rest of this calendar year. That is the hope, that is the plan. As for the Friday pods, we will see what happens if we get some Hall of Fame in there, if we get some interviews, if we have some other random things that come in, that spot's just kind of reserved for whatever could fit the bill for that possible week, but for the time being, there's a good chance it's just the two, the rewatch, the Ride or Die's recap for Monday, Wednesday for the foreseeable future. Of course, with a third time pod in over on the most likely two feed, Cover and Survivor that comes out on Saturday. So still three a week, pending where you're getting all your podcasts from, to be determined. But for now, for sure, rewatch Monday, Ride or Die's recaps on Wednesdays. Anything and everything could pop up on a any given Friday. That's where we are at. So with that, let's get to today's topic. Let's talk dual 2. As always, thank you so much for being here. Let's dive on in. Where is the state of the challenge in 2009? We're coming immediately off of the island, a massive experiment. We covered that all a couple weeks ago with my good friend Paige. If you haven't listened to that, if you don't remember why the island was the Island, well, you can go back and watch that season or listen to that podcast and get all filled in. But we're coming off this season where they took a big swing, tried something completely new, basically tried copying the most successful show in the space, the most popular show in the space, that being Survivor. And some things about it kind of worked, a lot of things didn't work. It got ugly again. We talked about that at length. So, with this season coming off of The Island, they clearly wanted to go back to something that had worked in the past that they knew that was kind of their bread and butter, and so they went with a repeat of the format who had given them what I've called the greatest season in challenge history up until this point, and maybe in all of history eventually, but definitely the best they had ever produced. That was the duel, so they say, let's do duel two. Let's start another you know, sequel here. We had done sequel with Bow the Sexes. We had done trilogies with Inferno and Gauntlet. Now let's revive another theme, another format, bring it back, go individual with it again to keep the cast size small because they are still starting to run into that. We only have so many real worlders to pull from and no one else. Now, real world is back strong right now. Brooklyn, real world Brooklyn airs right before and into this season of the challenge. Real world Cancun films during this season of the challenge and they got the trailer during the reunion. So the real world is pumping out talent again, but only 7 people a season and that's you know not enough so these smaller cast member formats for seasons of the challenge really really help them not use up too many people at too many times they are still very much transitioning who the stars of the show are. This season is a great encapsulation of that transition with, you know, the Mark Long is back in the house after a semi-retirement or a once-upon-a-time retirement from his previous season. He's back. Rachel's there, so you've got a couple OG nieces there. Ruthie comes back into this game. You know, you got some middle, middle of uh, middle of the eras people like a Brad in Orlando. You've got you know your new era with Evan being the one representative of the J E K era in this particular season. You've kind of got a little bit of everything. Paula's there, definitely. You know, they're leaning on Paula at this point, or starting to as one of the new faces of the show. So they're still transitioning. There's a little bit of the old, a little bit of the middle, a little bit of the new. And they're, they're just going back to their bread and the butter. They're going back to the thing that worked. The duel gave them an iconic season. And they're thinking with this cast they're bringing in that they're going to be able to replicate what happened on duel one. Where it was all about just CT and DM plus one of the best competitive seasons they had ever had. They thought let's do that again. CT and DM. Boom. Got them. We got one of the best competitive seasons male cast we've ever had female side doesn't quite get there the same way but similar structure to what they wanted with the cast of duel one it worked perfectly they do the same for Dual two the if the end results we'll discuss over the next hour or two here are you know are good, maybe not no, not maybe. We don't we don't have to mince any words, we don't have to build any suspense. It's not anywhere near as good as the dual one because no other season almost ever in the history of the show is anywhere near as good as the dual one. Let's talk the basics though. We've got TJ Lavin hosting, of course, six straight season in what would be 30 plus seasons or whatever the heck it is at now. 28 competitors started with 26 to get kicked out night one, so turns into two replacements. That leaves 28 people in this cast, though. 28 people would be. Let's start on the women's side. There's less of them. No one gets kicked out on the female side. We've got Rachel from Campus Crawl, Brittany from Real World Hollywood, Anissa from Chicago, DM Fresh Meat, Tori Viewers Revenge, Jen Denver, Paula Key West, Kimberly, Real World Hollywood, Ruthie Hawaii, Katie The Quest, Brooke Denver, Robin San Diego, and Siobhan from Real World Sydney. Over on the men's side, Evan from Fresh Meat, Brad from San Diego, Mark Long, Road Rules 1, the first adventure. Landon and MJ from Philadelphia, Derek from Viewer's Revenge, Dunbar from Sydney, Eric Big Easy Banks from Fresh Meat, Isaac from Sydney, Nehemiah from Austin, Davis from Denver, Ryan from Fresh Meat, Nick from Hollywood, Chris, CT Tamborello, and Adam King from Paris. That is your contestants on this season again. Obviously, CT and Adam, they go home first. That's how we end up back to 26 to start. They're in Queenstown, New Zealand way over in the southern hemisphere, across the world, in New Zealand, one of the If not the extreme sport capital of the world, I believe, or you know, way, way up there for that type of stuff, they definitely go heavy on the heights and a little extreme sport mixed in here and there this season. We've got 10 full episodes, we've got a reunion. Wikipedia claims there's a special as well. I'm not sure what that is referencing, but I'm not seeing anything else. This looks like a 10 plus reunion to me, April 8th to June 17th, 2009. As for evolutions or firsts or history made in this season, before we dive into the storylines and major topics of the seasons, a couple evolutions, a couple firsts. Obviously, at this point, this you know, it's 17 seasons in, there's not a lot evolving, but there is a lot of firsts and there is a lot of kind of history being made. This season in particular, crazy the, the round numbers that it hit. We get past episode 225. We're 225 episodes into this thing by the 7th season, we passed the 200th daily challenge mark at the beginning of this season, and we passed the 100th ever elimination in this season. So by the end of this season, we've had 225 plus episodes we've had 200 plus daily challenges 100 plus eliminations that is an insane amount and in that we're not even halfway done we're not we're only on 17 of what is now 38 plus the other 3 plus those 3 we don't really talk about plus USA plus everything else that's coming that is insane but those are some big round numbers that are all hit at the same time basically this season it's the second true individual season ever after the dual one of course but It is the first individual season where there's double limbs after every daily challenge, meaning no days off for the men or the women at either time. No one getting to kind of take it easy, just win a prize, not be up for elimination. No, no, no. Everyone's ass on the line every single day. Everyone has to try and care every single day this time around. A nice adjustment that they finally made to get this purely everyone tries at all times. That's what we need from you. And, A little history made, it's the first time someone gets sent home for fighting for the second time. CT, of course, second time in a row now uh, that he punches someone in the face and gets himself sent home. Not in a row, I guess he was on, you know, the Gauntlet 3 after the Inferno 3 Uh, random punching of Davis in the face, but two out of three, and uh, we don't see him for a couple seasons after that. And we even get commentary in the reunion from, uh, I believe, Rachel Robinson saying, CT should never be allowed back again. What a world, challenge-wise, we'd be living in if that would have been the case. As far as statistical history made in this season, there's only two that I've got to point out because they're wild and crazy and will help lead us right into talking about some of the storylines and major players of this season. And that is... Evan, in this season, has 91 confessionals in the 10 episodes. That 9.1 is the highest ever, 9.1 confessionals per episode, the highest ever for anyone that's been in more than one or two episodes. Some of those one episode, you know, I get eliminated episode one, but I had 12 confessionals, not counting that. 9.1 per episode is way, way up there, the highest pretty much ever. 91 confessionals, though, in a single season, with the second place in the season being Anissa at 50. Evan has 91, the second highest is 50 for Anissa. He has almost twice as many, that gap, I don't know for sure, I don't have the exact numbers to pull that up, but I feel confident saying that is the largest gap between first and second confessionals in a given season that there has been or ever would be. It's insane that he has that many more than everyone else, but no one else was really doing much narration, much joke making, much of anything in the confessional. Plus Evan was running the game. He's in three straight or three eliminations. He's in the final. It makes sense that he's a focus, but that gap is massive. Speaking of massive gaps, we also have the fact that only seven of the 28 cast members on this season win a daily challenge. There's 18 total daily challenges to be won. Nine daily challenges, two winners per a male and a woman. So there could be 18 winners and only seven people actually get a win of the 28 cast members. I, again, don't know that that's a guaranteed record, but it feels like there's no chance that any other season has been this dominated by this small of a group of people as far as who's winning the dailies, who is taking power. You know, I think of the couple fresh meat seasons and maybe that those ones you could have had this happen between Evan and Coral winning, you know, most of one while they were on in fresh meat or Ken or Evan and Coral, excuse me, Laurel and Kenny on Fresh Meat too. But even there, there was a couple other winners. That number gets higher than 7 out of 28, 25% of the people. So those two numbers are crazy. Those are the really only statistical things that stick out from this season. That's kind of where we are going in. That's the high-level stuff that takes place. This leads us right on into talking about the biggest storylines of the season. We've already referenced a couple. Now let's dive into them deeper. The biggest story of the season has to be what happens in episode one right away. I don't know if it's night one, if it's night two, it feels more kind of maybe like a night two, whatever. First night that we're really seeing. The big party takes place and the big fight takes place. Maybe the biggest fight uh that we've ever seen in challenge history as far as just how horrifying and brutal and out of control it was is probably it. I don't even know that's really an argument. It definitely is. It's the scariest fight we've ever seen in challenge history. That's for sure. It's between CT and Adam. Let's set the stage. What goes down? What causes this to happen? CT and DM are coming into the season. They are broken up. The the producers certainly want to, you know, the CT DM storyline to be the big one, coming off Duel one, obviously, seasons ago, and everything that's happened between them since. We find out early on, they've broken up. DM has told CT, maybe I'll marry you in five years, but career first for the time being. That leaves CT heartbroken. DM references that he is in a bad place mentally overall. This is the part I'm not 100% on. I know his brother passed at some point. I don't know if this is around the time that that happened or that was later on. We hear the two of them, CT and DM, that is discussing you know that and her maybe not being there in that moment for him uh, in future seasons, but I don't remember exactly when that happened uh, in the timeline, in you know season wise. But either way, DM references CT. Regardless of me and him having broken up, is going through some stuff. Then he and I break up. That doesn't you know go well for him. He's not in a good headspace. And then CT being a little antagonistic decides to go and have sex with Siobhan. They get caught. Everyone sees it or not sees it, but hears it on the roof, they get caught coming back in, they're confronted about it, they admit to it, or at least she does, he kind of doesn't, but does at the same time, everyone doesn't know, should we tell DM, should we not, Adam decide, tells her straight up, like, I haven't heard anything yet, but if I do, I will tell you, of course, CT sees that, he doesn't like it, then he DM eventually finds out from Katie and others, and CT decides, Adam told DM now I'm mad at Adam. I'm a little bit drunk. Adam and I already have a bit of a history anyways. Here we go. I'm going to kill the kid. And he, borderline, I, I can't believe Adam is standing and comes back in such a fury after the punch he takes. Because the initial punch, they get in each other's face. Adam's not backing down. And CT pauses and says, hey, Adam. And then clocks him across the face. Just, a just. The worst punch we've seen in the history of the show. Single punch, the strongest, most brutal single punch. I might even add into that the season after this. We're going to talk about Darrell and Brad. Now that one a little extra because Brad's head is against the ground, and so he's you know getting a hit from both sides. or Whatever. We're not going to discuss which one's worse. They're both horrifying and crazy that either of these two guys were standing after it happened. It was wild that Adam was still standing, but CT lands the huge punch. Adam comes back. They're throwing bows. They're trying to, everyone is in the room trying to separate them. It takes the whole male cast, basically, to separate these two guys in one of the rooms. They get Adam outside. Eventually, though, CT breaks down a door. He flips over a dresser. He puts holes in walls to get outside to where Adam is, who's still going after, wants to go after CT, because I don't know what the hell's going through his head, but just pure Pride and adrenaline and anger and just letting it all out is clearly going through his head. They break free from everyone. They get a couple more shots in on each other. It's just, it's just crazy. It's wild. It's uh it's definitely the scariest scene the, the house has ever seen. It definitely changed, I would hope and assume and by what we see after this these security type of rules because the fact that there's just the one little you know field producer security-ish guard there trying to hold CT back Uh, when all the other guys are like, all right, we'll give up. This guy's breaking everything. We can't stop him. There you go. One little field producer. We'll see what you can do. Oh, nothing. Okay, good. Yeah, got right by you as expected. So this changes everything about how the challenge house is run. Certainly, um, this has to be, while I don't know for a fact, one of the many instances that led to the alcohol rules being curbed and curbed and curbed. Obviously things that would happen on the following season from this had a lot to that, but I would think this was a little bit, you know, one of those first warning shots of, Holy shit. We maybe, uh, maybe we shouldn't let these guys just drink whatever they want to drink and not have security around and, you know, in, you know, want things like this to happen because they can get out of hand really, really quick. It's wild. It's crazy. It gets both of them eliminated. And after that, you know, they're gone basically immediately. It's wild. They're gone so fast that they don't even have a day to record any interviews. Neither of them have confessionals because they've only been there a day or two. They haven't even recorded any confessionals yet, which is another just crazy thing of how quick this happens. And it ruins the season, more or less, which is why this becomes the biggest story of the entire season, even though it's just the one episode and it's like, all right, we move on from that. It really does hamper the season in a huge, huge way because- They were going in with CT DM is going to be the huge story. CT in general always is at this time. If he's on the season, he's the story. He makes himself the story one way or the other for good or worse. And they were definitely hoping for that. And that's why you would think they casted it the way that they casted it, the way, you know, we've, We're jumping ahead here, but we already covered it. We just covered Fresh Meat 2, and we talked about how it was the best casting to get the right storylines that they wanted, and it played out perfectly for production exactly as they had hoped that it would. This season is almost the opposite of that. They went in. They didn't put a Wes. He was still not back. They did not put a Bananas or a Derek or an Abram. They didn't put Jody just to round out Wes and Jody, the dual one winners, neither of them there, but mostly on the men's side, they tried to clear it out For CT to have all the room to work, all the room to dominate. They knew the other big names they were putting with them. The Brad's, the Evans, the Mark's, the Landon's could be a little more submissive as far as storylines would go. And they cleared out for CT, cleared out for the CT DM. Like, let's rehash that. Let's make that as big as it can be. And then CT is just gone. And then on top of that, Adam is a super fun personality to have around in the house. He usually produces some really good underdog storylines that he's got going and is just a wonderful, great glue guy in the house and in a cast. And they're both replaced by MJ and Nehemiah, who are solid glue guy cast members themselves, but really don't bring a lot of story or entertainment to this season as the replacement certainly nowhere near what they were hoping they were about to get from making CT the focal point of the season with the DM, the former love interest, Adam, the former rival there, and you know full reign to run in the house, but with a bunch of big dudes. The other thing, you know they casted this for CT to be the star of this one because look at the dudes they casted with him to actually give him some physical, size competition to not let him be just the big bully we've got evan who's massive mark who's massive landon who's an absolute beast they bring in mj who's massive Derek who's massive uh you know just all the way down davis who's huge all the way down the line they're like we're gonna put as many big guys in the house with ct as the star that it all revolves around and see what happens and then they lose that episode one and it hampers the season completely the season does obviously go on, though. They don't just say, ah, we lost the guy. We were looking to be the star of this one. Well done. We're going to fold it up. No, of course not. They go on and produce a wonderful season. It's still a very good season, but it's hampered by that. But the biggest storyline then that actually takes place over the course of the season and another one that maybe a CT or Adam being there would have or could have shaken up is the fact that the really the Mark Landon, Evan, Brad alliance that comes into the house as a firm alliance they all pick a partner so we got mark with rachel landon with britney evan with paula and then dm brad with Tori. of course those four couples are in charge of the game they're running the game from start to finish and that is because no one can beat any of them in any of the daily challenges as we referenced in the you know earlier part of this Landon wins five of the nine daily challenges. Rachel wins four of the nine. Britt wins three of the nine. Mark and Evan win two each. So Landon, Mark, and Evan, all nine of the male side of the daily challenges, they get all nine of the wins. They are always in control of the selection, the draft, the the picking process, the order, whatever the heck you want to call how they decide on who's going into elimination. This On this, the duel for the second time, same as the duel one, Whoever wins, they say the first name. You say opposite gender. You draft until one of each is left standing there. Those are going in. They get to pick their opponents. But when Landon, Mark, and Evan win nine out of nine of the daily challenges, their little group, their tight alliance, always is at the top. None of them are ever going in but by being at the bottom of the list. They're only going in if they get called out. They kind of adopt MJ into this, uh, and you know they swap in. Paula out, DM in when, you know, CT obviously goes home. And then Paula goes for Dunbar over MJ after they've adopted MJ into this alliance for the time being. That upsets Evan. It puts both of them on the outs for, you know, for a minute there. It ultimately leads to Paula going home when she loses to Anissa. It never it never costs Evan being at the bottom of the list, but for a few episodes in a row, he is looked at as the Kingpin, the one, the vulnerable one, he gets called into elimination. He goes in three times gets the win all three times. But honestly, even if he would have lost one of those eliminations, obviously that changes who wins the season in the end, but it doesn't change this group of people running the game because he's still got Landon and Mark. And I don't know if anyone's beating them in any of these daily challenges that they won seven of the nine of them anyways. So, uh, You know, it just this this group runs the house in a pretty, pretty historic way for a season. That's not a like team based season for for an individual season. This this group of, you know, four kind of really five. It's pretty much the four guys plus Rachel. And if you want to even drop Brad out of that, it's really just Mark Landon, Evan and Rachel running it. Throw Britt in there. Respect three out of nine. Those five are running this game. They're making all the decisions and no one can ever do anything about it, and everyone is too afraid to call out Landon or Rachel to ever change things up. That was the only way anything was gonna change on the whole season, is if Landon or Rachel gets called into the elimination and beaten, then it opens up the opportunity for someone to win a daily challenge. But as long as Lando and Rachel were there, no one else was winning a daily, which brings me to the fact of how much Landon and Rachel dominate. Let's just let's just go right into that. Uh, we don't we don't have anything else to even really wrap up on. This group runs the game. It it, it actually I guess we'll do the Landon and Rachel first, then we'll circle back around Rachel before Landon. Rachel is on another level this season, way above all the rest of the women there. Uh, you know. Britt, as a rookie coming in, I don't know why she was never brought back to the challenge. She's absolutely awesome. She did great at it. She's super hot. She, you know, models, usually the ones who are modeling outside the show, want to be on the show. I imagine she wanted to be on the show, but uh, she wasn't fucking or fighting, either those two things, as the great Dan Setzler, of course, always says. Gotta do one of those. She wasn't doing one of those. I don't know why she doesn't come back, but she's the only one that's even in the realm, the same universe as Rachel on this season. No one else is even close. And uh, it's just it's just a foregone conclusion from the beginning. She wins four out of the nine daily challenges, like we said. Really, we, we almost want to give her the fifth because the very first one, it's all politics, who wins. They got to kind of pick who wins. Robin gets the win. If they do that actual challenge one-on-one, they actually compete who can win this for real, for real. Rachel's smoking it. So kind of five out of the nine. No one's gonna to touch her the whole time. Done deal from the start. One of the most dominant seasons of all time. She was always gonna win. There's no elimination anyone could have beat her at on this season. I don't, I, I just really don't think maybe, 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 maybe Anisa could have got her in a a back, uh, back off or pushover. Uh, you know, would have had you know size and strength right there, right there with her. But I still, I still think Rachel finds a way to win those, even that very specific matchup versus one person in these two eliminations. But otherwise, and, you know, those two are good friends this whole season. They're not going to go against each other. There's no, there was no way. From day one, there was almost 0% chance that Rachel was not going to win this entire season. She walks away with it at the end. She wins the final on her own, like overall win of the final the first time. I think we'd seen that. We'd only really, I guess, seen the one individual final before. So she wins overall, and it's just one of the most dominant seasons of all time. Then you've got Landon on the other side, putting up an equally dominant season. He wins five out of the nine, same as we said for Rachel, that first one's all politics. They basically pick who they let win, which is Evan in that instance. So you could call it six. I think he also would have won that if it was a one-on-one thing. He gets second in two others. So if you round that five up to six or just throw the one out, he got five out of nine plus two seconds. There's only one, the spelling bee at the end, that he actually just straight up loses in. He... If he's in the final, he smokes the final no problem. He wins by a mile. There's just no no question. He's so good at all the things they're doing on this season. There's no chance anyone beats him or even comes particularly close in the final at all. But he doesn't make the final because one of the biggest what ifs in challenge history, one of the biggest moments of this season is at the very end. They get to the final 4. TJ comes into the room right after they've just been at the duel that morning or afternoon. TJ comes back in and says, guess what? We're doing another duel, and then we'll do the final. You guys have to pick. It's a vote, however you want to do it. The four guys, Brad, Mark, Evan, and and Landon, sit down and decide how do we want to do this. Landon, of course, being the good guy that he is. Kind of hilariously, looking back at this very you know pivotal moment for his challenge legacy, throws out. Well, I can see. I can only see two ways we can do this. We can either you know we can draw names out of a hat, or we can base it on performance. And then Brad has to go out and say, Yeah, I, I mean I could also the third way possibly I don't know, but a third way is we could vote. We could also vote, and it's just a hilarious kind of little moment. They're all so serious in the moment. And, of course, they decide, sure, let's do a vote, a blind vote. Landon says, I'll go get a hat and paper. He leaves the room. Silly, 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 stupid decision. He leaves the room. Evan immediately looks at Mark, looks at Brad signals. We're doing it, right? We're doing it. They vote for Landon. Now... I think even if he doesn't leave the room I think all of them are eventually going to say we're voting we're not doing a, a you know a performance based thing or anything like that and I think the vote is still for Land and even if they don't get to talk about it I I don't know for sure but the only way I see it going different is if they decide to vote for Brad having not won any daily challenges that season but if they vote for Brad I would imagine Brad calls out Landon so I think we get the same matchup no matter what because if they even in the hypothetical they they vote Brad in and they learn that you know it's back off he gets to pick he's not he doesn't want to pick any of those 3 but if you're playing that game that they end up playing You want to get the closest to a size matchup as you can get. Evan and Mark are massive, way bigger than Brad. He's picking Landon anyway. So I think either way, they end up in there, but it's really about the loss. Brad is the only person who has ever beaten Landon at anything in the challenge, ultimately. Obviously, he hasn't won 100% of the daily challenges, but... Damn close in a crazy way. Brad's the only one that's ever beat him straight up in anything, and that is a huge notch in Brad's belt, and he does it with the incredible clutch move. We'll talk about the elimination later. Spoiler alert, it's it's nominated for the best elimination of the season, but Landon loses round one, He's just wrestling Brad. He's breaking the rules. TJ just blows the horn and says, No, not, we're not gonna, we're not gonna let that fly. Brad, just put your thing up. You win round one. Landon, you can't just wrestle him. You actually have to go for the hook. Those are the rules. And then round two, Landon throws Brad into a wall before taking the hook and putting it on and winning that round, that point. And then the third round, the massive move, the clutch move from Brad, one of the greatest moves in challenge elimination history. Landon does the smart thing. He learns finally. He gets his head right and realizes, what have I seen before in this game? You need to be by your hook. That's where you wrestle, by your own hook. He does. He wrestles Brad to the ground right next to his own hook or underneath it, but Brad, super clutch, super smart, stands up, flings the hook as far as he can in a big old circle, sprints for his, Landon catches his hook but can't get the carabiner on there in time, Brad clips in on his first attempt at the clip, he wins in stunning fashion, and Landon is out, and this is just a huge what-if all around, because if Landon, again, if he wins this, doesn't go into this elimination, or wins this elimination... He wins the final, he smokes Evan in in Mark as good as Evan does, as amazing as Evan does in this final, Landon wins that. Landon becomes the 4-4-4 champion. I don't think it changes anything on Fresh Meat at all because he still would have got the same draft pick. He still would have been looked, you know, undervalued a little bit in that season. And it would have been West versus Kenny. He would have been in the middle. Everything the same happens. He ends up in a couple eliminations. Everything the same happens. Him being three for three versus two for three doesn't change anything because they still come into this uh, that season of Fresh Meat as this guy is the best guy in the house anytime he's in the house. And so This stops this prevents this one win from Brad. This amazing clutch performance and move from Brad stops Landon from being in consideration for the greatest player of all time. He's still in that debate for me and many other Lando Commando hardcore fans out there. But three for four doesn't just doesn't doesn't hit the same as four for four. And it makes it all the worse when arguably the one season he doesn't win is his best season of all. Our third and final storyline then, before we hit to the awards, which will allow us to talk about a bunch of other factors and moments and uh, minutia of this season, is the romance on the season. Because if there is any other storyline outside of the show loses its star in a big, brutal, horrifying way in the first episode, and then it's kind of competitively... A little boring, a little lackluster after that because this one alliance dominates in such a fashion that every episode you go into just kind of knowing, all right, well, one of them is going to win again, which means these two people will be at the bottom of the order again, and maybe they can pull a big upset, call someone out, pull a big upset in the elimination, but when no one ever does... Nothing really changes. It's kind of a little actually boring and monotonous and tedious all the way through because of how good that alliance is. But the one thing that saves it, the one other storyline that crops up, is that romance is happening anywhere and everywhere and all in between on this season of the show. Maybe it's not the most romance we've ever seen. Definitely, maybe most hookups ever is fresh meat, too, which we you know talked about when we talked about that. But as far as actual relationships that are attempted and definitely love triangles that are had, uh, this, this season takes the cake. Let's run through them quickly and you know, either do the classic ship or don't ship any thoughts and opinions about each one. First one chronological order here CT and Siobhan have sex. I think we covered that one. I don't think uh I don't think uh CT was all that interested. I think that was just purely out of spite. And I think Siobhan saw her chance to have sex with CT. And who's going to say no to that? You know, if you're you're a rookie, you don't know what's going on. CT says he wants to hook up. And you're like, ah, oh, that seems like seems like a good time to me. You go ahead and do that. The fallout of that is obviously the big fight. We've discussed that. Let's move on. No ship there. Then we've got Ryan in Davis. Absolutely ship this one. Love, love, love this one. Mostly because. I'm going to forget exactly when it was said, but I believe it was Ryan on the Duel 1 or the Gauntlet 3. I forget which one. He and Tyler were both on both of those seasons. I believe it was the Gauntlet 3, right? Am I getting that right? I think so. Where they have him and Tyler make out once heavily, and then Tyler is like, you know, I want more. Ryan's like, eh, I'm not into it, so we're we're going to not drunk make out either because I don't want a relationship. He references in one of those. If they would have given me Davis, this would be a different story. He says in a confessional on another season that he was looking forward to or hoping that he'd come across Davis in one of the seasons they do. They have a hot and heavy makeout hookup. In one of the early episodes, Davis then unfortunately goes home, which is a bummer because we don't get to see anything else play out between these two, but we love it while we see it. Absolutely ship Ryan and Davis, and great job, Ryan, speaking that one into existence. Great job casting directors and casting crew who heard Ryan say that and decided, yeah, we got to make this one happen. Plus, they're both great on the show. Why not get them both in there? Next one then, here's where things start to get a little more complicated. That would be the Paula Dunbar Kim love triangle plus Dunbar's maybe girlfriend that he has somewhere at home, love tripod, I don't know, one person at the top of three, picking between three, I don't know what you want to call that, but Dunbar puts himself in a pickle on this one. He and Paula had had a little romantic feelings on the island, they come into this one, Paula's like, you know... I like to have someone who I can kiss anytime I want in the challenge house and have it not really mean anything but I just kinda like to have someone around to have that little release. She's one of the all time goats of that particular strategy of getting through the mental hell that is a challenge house and uh, her and Dunbar never really happens on this season. He's kind of, you know, being like, we're just really good friends. I care about you a lot. I like you. We're partners in this game, but we ain't doing that. Plus, I maybe have a girlfriend, or maybe I just said that to try to deny you, Paula, and be nice about it. But that backfires because then him and Kim get all hot and heavy out in the woods. They get caught by Paula herself. It's hilarious. It it ultimately ends all three of their games. Not that it really would have impacted anything else, but Paula here is the one that's of interest because it does. It does. If it impacts any of them, it impacts Paula because Paula is in the main alliance. She is in with Evan. She is Evan's partner, and Evan, Mark, Landon, and Brad are running things. And that means she's right in with that gang. And if she doesn't have that initial vote where she chooses Dunbar over MJ, which is what they've told her to do, then she's with Evan the whole time. She's getting called the whole time. Now, does she get called out by someone else to go into elimination? Maybe, but I. I don't know that it, she certainly makes it further in the season, if not all the way to the end. Um, and so that another big, big air for Paula, um, you know, in another season where she definitely could have made that final. And again, she's not touching Rachel in this final, but she's, she's really in the battle for second place and she shoots herself in the foot. It's a whole thing between her and Evan and Dunbar and everyone. And the relationship between the three of them, Dunbar, Kim, and Paula, uh, I, I love Dunbar and Paula it's just it's just the the you know the bickering couple that all challenge fans kind of have a soft spot for them in the challenge house we're going to get more of those two together of course I kind of like Dunbar and Kim though it it felt right it felt good uh, and so we'll give it a ship over a, a no ship then we got Jen Rachel and Anisa maybe triangle there Jen and Rachel coming off of the island another one where the, the thing about all these romances is we've seen them all before. So while it's great that we've got something to cling to for a storyline, it's a storyline we've seen before. We've seen Paula and Dunbar before. Kim's a new element to that. But we've seen the Paula Dunbar dysfunction, and now they're, now they're left uh, hanging at the end or kicked off early. We've seen CT just, you know, out of spite, have a random hookup. We've seen Ryan make out with a dude before. It was a little different this time around, but it ended just as quick because one of them ended up going home and then both of them ended up going home. We've seen Jen and Rachel before, the season prior. They come into this season though, it's a little cold at first, then it warms up in the middle. Then we find out that Anissa's claims Her and Rachel basically have a seven-year relationship going, which is a bold thing to say, from when they maybe at first. She references maybe they hooked up way back on Battle of the Sexes and we never saw that explicitly. We know they were good friends. I think there was some flirtation there. We eventually get them as partners way down the line on an ex's season, which is great. But... Jen and Rachel get hot and heavy again. They rekindle everything they had in the previous season. There is a weird dynamic between them. Those two and Anissa. Rachel basically has to just try to be the, I'm just playing my game. I'm just, I don't want to do anything political in this game because I'm just going to win every, everything anyway. So why, why do I have to try to get this messy? And thankfully for her, Jen goes home at the right time to then transfer back to just me and Anissa are the best of friends here. Ride it out to the very end. So, We ship it because we loved it on the island between Jen and Rachel, but we're seeing it again, uh, this new element to it. We don't have enough of the backstory, enough of the details with the Anissa element of this to make it anything too riveting, but it's it's still enough to carry the story for an episode or two. And then finally, the one we've also seen before, and we'll see again another season or two later, is Brad and Tori coming into this season, having started dating back on The Gauntlet 3. Now they're engaged, Now they're moving in, now they want to start a family, now Tori's pissed that Brad doesn't have a real job and just wants to do challenges, and that comes up halfway through the season. That causes her to take her ring off, leave it in the room, and exit the room, making Brad think, did she just call off our engagement? It's a mess, they're bickering most of the time, they make up at the end, right in time for Tori to then go home, Brad, at least, Wins the 35k in the end. Who knows? Is Tory going to be happy with that? He walks back and says, All right, I got the 35k. That's something. You know, you wanted me to make money. Here you go. I don't know if that's going to be enough. We ultimately know that this story gets better before you know, way, way down the line has a falling out in a in a bummer resolution to it. They obviously go on to win cutthroat together, but this one. It's it's interesting, but it's it's kind of painful to watch because we really are attached to Brad. We really like Brad and are rooting for Brad at this point in the challenge career, you know, especially on a duel. We're like, all right, he almost won the duel one, he's coming back, he's doing really good here, but now he and her are having these issues. It's causing, you know, they're they're dominating this game, they could make it to the end together. And it's just kind of it's an interesting storyline, certainly. It's impactful in a, you know, multi-season storyline of these two together and then ultimately not, but is it all that interesting or engaging for this particular season? Maybe not, and if I got to stick with the game here, the gimmick here, ship or not ship, I don't ship because they don't end up together long term, and I think both of them, you know, are ending up in better places and good places today. But uh, definitely, definitely wasn't a fan of watching this all unfold or having to rewatch it again, knowing where it would ultimately go way down the line. But that's one of the things about doing these rewatches is, you know, what's going to happen. You know how things are going to result, not just in the moment in that episode you're watching, but in real life decade or whatever later, 13 years now later. So no ship there. But we ship Jen and Rachel In the Anissa drama, that was a part of that. We ship Ryan and Davis, Paula and Dunbar, and the Kim part, not CT and Siobhan, or any of the other random hookups that probably did happen, but the reunion episode is not available to watch for this season anywhere that I could find, at least, if you know where to find that. Please DM at Challenge Historian. always open. Uh, That's usually where we find out about a couple extra secret hookups, but I don't think, it doesn't seem like there's probably any likely ones for this season. So, that is the romance that is the main the main thing that they really cling to episode by episode is, is there at least anyone hooking up anyone arguing that we can focus on cuz those same group of people just keep on winning
0: Hey advertisers we know where your next customer is they're listening to our podcasts Acast podcast listeners are more likely to make a purchase because they listen to the highest quality shows and you can find them on any and every app Start reaching them for as little as $250 using Acast's self-serve app platform. Acast makes podcast advertising seriously simple. Visit go.acast.com slash advertise to get started today.
1: To the awards we go. A lot of hardware to hand out. As always, best daily challenge, best elimination, athletic performance. Those are our three sport-based awards. Then we'll roll into the show side of things, quote, moment, and everything else. Rookie of the Year episode, or episode, best episode, yes, and season MVP. I'm getting all screwed up. Let's go one by one. That'll make things easier. Let's start with the best daily challenge. couple comments on the daily challenges as a whole. Maybe the best collection of dailies we've ever had. Uh, They just, they really nail these. They go 949. They're all well-run, well-produced. There's the proper equal mix of partner and individual where it's actually, again, there's only the one challenge right at the start where the political alliances of the house come into play and someone just kind of wins by default because of the alliances. But even that one is really good because it's, you know, they at least play a real true kind of six-on-six rugby to start before they then do the whole political thing that happens after it. So great collection, actual true competition almost entirely physical other than the spelling at the end but it's all you know athleticism kind of random a lot of climbing more you know more evenly uh evenly situated athleticism stuff not just like strength or size on any of them anything like that i really like this collection of dailies it's incredibly good just rock solid there's no bad ones they're almost all good a couple great let's talk about the best of the best we've got four nominees First one, Last Man Standing, episode one. Yes, this is the one we just referenced. It has the political chaos at the end, but they play a a true, I guess it's only for one score, so it's kind of short, but they play a rugby match. Full tackle, full real rugby match, six on six, uh, to start the whole process off. A men's one and a women's one, which is great and super fun. And it's just, it feels really nice. They start with, you know, the rugby in New Zealand. Of course, that's very, very popular and very, very important to the culture there. So I like when they are able to tie that stuff in. That's all great. Number two nominee comes from episode number two Freezing as Puck. They have to, the women partners, I guess they can choose either way, but everyone goes with the women partner. Partner up, sit on a block of ice. The man pushes that block of ice. They basically play curling but with women sitting on massive blocks of ice. Everyone's in Speedos and bikinis. It's hilarious. It's famous more so for Mark and Rachel getting the win as the kind of OGs of this season. Mark having the kind of funny celebration moments falling down and everything, flexing in the Speedo the whole nine yards. It's really great. It's fun. It's funny. Mark and Rachel winning feels awesome at early in the season as the OGs of this particular challenge. It gets nominated, as does episode number four, "Losing My Mind. They start to make TJ say some incredibly silly puns right around this episode. It's hilarious, they wear the big, they call them bobbleheads, it's more like lampshades with their faces screen printed on them around their head as they have to run up a go-kart track cart back down that track, and then the partner does it, and then they put together a puzzle together. It's a great mix of physical silliness and a puzzle all together. That's a perfect daily challenge combination if I've ever seen one. Fourth and final nominee, then, is Episodes 9. The final one, the last one, Spelling Air. Now, is this the greatest trivia round we've ever seen? No. They ultimately, it's really quick. They don't have to have to do that many words. It's all Spelling Bee, of course, over water, 100-foot drop, uh, the 100 foot drop is a little interesting. They kind of drop them slowly on the line, on the bungee line. Some people drop faster and others drop slower. You can't really totally tell. But the whole thing leads to a bunch of comedic moments. It leads to some good stuff from TJ. Mark is, you know, consummate professional, so good at all this, makes a bunch of good moments out of it. MJ the same, Evan the same, Rachel the same. All across the board, Tori and DM both freak the hell out. They don't want to do it. The whole thing is incredible, and that is why it is Trivia always reigns supreme, no matter what kind of trivia it may be, even if it's the spelling kind, it is the winner of the best daily challenge, which moves us to, then, the best elimination of the season. A couple quick comments on the eliminations. There's five to pick from, instead of the four from the original duel. They all get picked at an even disbursement, uh, unlike, you know, with the gauntlets of the past or the, the duel of the past, where, you know, we kind of got more of one or the other, and they're most, they're all five good. Uh, you know, especially the one puzzle, the you know, climbing the wall and putting the things in place is way cooler than the slider puzzle on Gauntlet Three or I Can that horrible game from the Duel. Either one of those, so there's no bad one in the bunch. Back off and push over are both great headbangers and great twists on a head headbanger. Dual pole dancing. It doesn't fully work for me or for any of the matchups, but I get why they thought it would. That seems really great in concept It just didn't pan out the way they maybe hoped. And then Elevator, you know, it gave us the best suspense, but it was kind of a little boring visually ultimately uh, to just watch two people like pull on a chain for over and over until we just say, they say, say one of them wins. So with that, in mind, the award goes to one of these three nominees Jen versus Katie in Pushover in episode four, Brittany versus DM in Pushover in episode 10, or Brad, Brad and Landon in Back Off episode 10. Let's throw. Episode number two, I believe it is. Anissa and Siobhan in back off as well. They deserve that nominee. Those two go absolutely at it. There's choking, there's punching. It's hilarious and it's brutal. Anissa gets the big win, her first of what would be three on the season. Jen versus Katie, a great pushover matchup. And uh, Jen, you know, gets the win, her first of two wins and ultimately three different times playing. Push over, the pushover queen for a moment there before being dethroned by DM. At the uh, near the end, but then Diem also goes back in to push over for a second time, plays against Brittany, and gets the loss uh, in the rain. It's a struggle. It's a back and forth affair, but none of those come anywhere near Brad versus Landon. We talked all the way through it before. We don't have to do it again for all the reasons of how the historical context, the incredible Clutch move by Brad at the end, the fact that Landon was even in that position in the first place, the fact that Brad then went back-to-back versus MJ and Landon takes out all of real-world Philadelphia in two days before going into the final, all of it is just amazing and incredible, and that is, of course, the best elimination of the season, no doubt as for the best athletic performance, to round out these athletic-based awards, we've got four nominees. Episode 3, Landon in All Shook Up. This is where they have to stand uh, what their feet on a rope, Their hands on a rope over a mud pit. They start with heats of four people. You just got to shake it, move it to get people off. If you last long enough, you can start to touch each other. Most of them end up doing just that. Landon destroys everyone in this. It's not even close. His his attacks, once they're allowed to touch, uh, taking out Mark and many others along the way, is incredible. Landon again then, second nominee in episode six. Landon and Brittany in Dangle Duo. This one is basically a massive ladder up into the sky each of the eight rungs that they have to climb up, held together by chains on the outside that you can use to help climb, get further and further apart so that you can't just each climb up, you have to hoist your partner up. And the method and the speed with which Landon free climbs the chain part, not even using the actual the the ladder the ladder rungs, if you will, the metal bars that they're sitting on. He climbs up, slides into place. Brittany puts her foot on his shoulder. He lifts her up to the next one, climbs up, does it again seven times in a row, super fast. They dominate, they beat everyone. Yes, it's Landon and Brittany, but it's really what Landon's doing in that one in particular. And then the other two nominees, we got to say, Rachel and Evan, both episode 10, the final, their performances in the final. Rachel just smoke in the field, and Evan with the huge comeback victory after being fallen way behind when he and Brad have to split up. And, you know, Rachel gets their way before Britt. Evan has to wait. He still makes up all that ground, gets that win in the end. Both of them amazing, but... They both won. They both took home the 100K. We've got to give Landon an award somewhere in here, and he has to be recognized as the best athlete on this season. So his performance, whether you want to say all shook up or dangled duo, wins the best athletic performance of the season. We head to the show side of things. Let's talk quotes, moments, and episodes. Best quote first, chronological. We kick the season off with a reference back to the island, the previous season, basically the previous episode we had watched, not counting reunion, with Paula saying this about what happened at the end of the island. Since the island, I um, actually had to go in for surgery to have the knife removed from my back. That was... a. Uh placed in by Kenny and Johnny. As far as Alliance goes, she was never in it, and you never talked to me about it. feel really f- lied to right now. feel really good, really confident, and really pissed off still, so this is gonna be a good challenge for me. Can always count on Paula to crush it in the confessional booth. Coming off a confessional Queen Dan Renzi award win for the island. Will she get it again here? I don't know. Let's figure out the rest of the nominees first. Evan in episode three, talking about the crazy experiment that is a challenge house. The problem is this. I'm trapped in a house
0: with 26 crazies. We're in some weird Petri dish social experiment The game does funny things to people, and I don't know how to save myself. Because right now, I'm feeling the heat, and it's starting to get to me a little bit.
1: He definitely has a a hard time this season. His buddies, Johnny and Kenny, aren't there. He doesn't really have his normal gang. He still has got a nice, big, strong alliance, but he's left a little in the cold for a brief moment there, and that is at the moment where he tries to wonder, what is this Petri dish? It's a great, great quote. Then we've got Isaac in episode 5 a storyline that maybe we should have elevated all the way into uh, one of the major storylines of the season. Because for one episode, it was Mr. Lando Commando clips Isaac's toenail off. His toenail that he's been growing for, how, how long had you been growing those toenails again, Isaac? I grew out my big toe, both of them, for about six months. And then somebody came along with vicious, malicious intent, and they cut those toenails and that's why i had to do it was right call into the duel all right now. just obviously uh iconic stuff from isaac his toenails are clips. he's not happy about it i could have played i think four different times he says in confessional like you don't clip a man's toenails it took me four months he upgrades it to six months for that particular quote It's incredible that that moment is hilarious and funny, as was that quote. Then we got Evan again, episode eight, talking about MJ during the Upside Downer Daily, where MJ is rocking one of many awesome hairdos that he has on this season. Hair looks awesome. MJ's really long
0: and he's got his superpower hair, which, if you look closely, started to actually fly. He was using the flow as wings, propelling himself out to the Maori carvings.
1: And then, final nominee for the quote of the season is TJ Lavin himself, always being witty during a trivia or, in this case, spelling bee competition. Take it away, TJ. Okay, we're moving on to seventh
0: grade. You guys are in
1: junior high killing it. The disrespect. you guys are in seventh grade now killing it. just just to, to be clear, they started in fourth grade, they go fourth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade. So uh, you know, they're get they're basically passed through middle school by the time that daily challenge has ended of all of those quotes. There's a few others that could have been in there. Only five make the nominees. But if we've got to give it to anyone, even if it's in reference to a totally different season, the best quote of this season is the first quote of the season is Paula, episode one. I had to go to surgery to remove the knife put in my back by Kenny and Johnny. It's just wonderful. It's incredible. It's wonderful. And Paula is, you know, is great. We cannot give her the Dan Renzi Award for the second season in a row because, however... We've got to give that award to Evan. It has to go to Evan. He has some good quotes, obviously, two nominated here. He's got good confessionals throughout. But as we said at the very start of this podcast, he has 91 confessionals. The second most is 50. You can't, you by volume alone, usually it's quality, not quantity that wins you the Dan Renzi confessional king or queen. But in this case, quantity trumps anything. And plus he was mixing in some quality there too. So Evan gets the Dan Renzi award. Paula gets the best quote of the season. And that takes us to the iconic moment award again as always we shall explain the unexplainable it's the best moment it's the most infamous moment it's the most memorable moment it's the most iconic it's the one that would be up for the greatest moment in challenge history style bracket that we will one day do that is your vague way of explaining what this award is meant to represent we've got some nominees but let's not kid ourselves we know We know what the most iconic moment from this season is. So CT and Adam, their fight, episode one, that wins the award. Certainly, I'm not even going to act like we got to add some suspense, but I will give a shout-out to some other moments that at least deserve their nomination, some small, some big. The next one, chronologically, episode four, Evan herding the sheep. Evan herds sheep a couple different times of this season, but they have one segment to open episode four, which is him out running on the mountainside with a whole bunch of sheep. He's got a rope around one, like a little leash. Uh, he's just having a great old time. He's talking about it in confessional. It's it's one of the more lighthearted, really fun, just random moments of the season of and with not a lot of those types of moments. So had to fit that one in there. Episode five then, another nominee would be the birthday party for Easy and Brad. The, the, uh, the trick lap dance with the nieces starting blindfolding easy and Isaac filling in. And then, of course, this all leads into Landon clipping Isaac's toenails and all the commentary about that. So that all molded together as one big moment long you know segment of an episode that gets nominated. Episode nine, the entire Spelling Air Daily Challenge gets a nomination between Mark and MJ and Brad before. My confidence is okay. I really think I'm a fantastic speller. F a n tastic. Just think, standing on these planks would be kind of gnarly. Gnarly. Spell gnarly. Would be kind of gnarly. It's an easy one. K n a r e l y. That is incorrect. K n a r l e y. Gnarly. Good, good gnarly. G k. K, what are you talking well, about? What did You're done. on the ground now. Gnarly. Spell golden. G-O-L-D-E-N. Correct. Correct. Golden. Rachel's quote when she wins. Oh. Rachel, your word is pinnacle. P-I-N-N-A-C-L-E. Pinnacle.
0: Good job, Rachel. Congratulations, Congratulations, Rachel. You 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 win today's challenge. Great job. Strong, but I'm also smart.
1: (laughs) MJ's fall and sounding like a donkey on the way down. We're moving on to sixth grade now, boys. MJ,
0: your word is immaculate
1: E M A C U L A T E.
0: Immaculate. Boom, I'm gone. I don't
1: know what's worse, misspelling immaculate or sounding like a freaking hurt donkey on the way down. Oh my God. All right, boys or TJ's quote, or Evan's dance when he eventually wins. Spelling air, the whole thing lumped together is one incredible, incredible time. That's why it won the best daily challenge of the season. Another nominee then would be Brad beating Landon. Again, another winner of a separate award, but even gets itself into the nominations for the best moment of the season. It's definitely one of the first moments I think of when I think Duel 2. I think, how did Landon lose that? And I remember this incredible moment from Brad, the crazy finish, the physicality, and then also episode 10, Evan beating Brad by one second, which we we kind of touched on before, but we didn't really go in depth. We got to say again, Evan's comeback victory is incredible. It's heartbreaking for Brad. He loses by one second after getting second in the duel before He takes a huge lead, though. He passes Evan midway through, and then they get to the crucial leg of the final where they have to pair up, and it's, you know, the men get there. They all have to wait, and in the order the women get there, they pair up with the men in the order they got there, and then they continue on, and you can't go until someone gets there. Brad and Rachel take off. Evan believes he is defeated. He's like, by 10 seconds, Brad beat me to this spot, which means he's going to win overall because I don't know where the hell Brittany or Anissa are. It takes a while. Brittany eventually shows up. They catch up. Brad, you know, is cramping up during this time. He's slowing Rachel down in all honesty. But Evan makes the huge comeback. They get to the elevator at the end. They get the, you know, photo finish moment. Going up and down the elevator at the exact same time. Jumping out at the same time. And Evan's big long strides. Just beating Brad to the top of the finish podium. Putting his thing down a half second before Brad. Winning the money. It's crazy. It's incredible. It's the, the biggest... The, closest you know photo finish and challenge history it's wild it's insane so when i think of the duel two i think of evan winning by a second i think of the fact that landon didn't in fact win that brad beat him i think of the great spelling air challenge i think of the isaac toenail thing i think of Rachel just dominating the whole season. But what I think of first, and what I already started this without even trying to build suspense, the winner of the iconic moment is Adam and CT fight. It is the most impactful thing of this season. It is the biggest moment of the season. It's one of the bigger moments in challenge history. It's certainly one of the ugliest and horrifying moments in challenge history, but it's iconic in so many different ways, and it wins the award, which takes us to the final of the three show-based side awards. The best episode Three nominees. This season starts really strong, ends really strong, kind of gets a little bland there in the middle. Episode 1, Damned if, if damned if You Duel. Episode 9, Till Death Duel Us Part. Or Episode 10, Duel or Die. Those were the three highest rated episodes of the season by yours truly. Yes, if you're asking, are all 10 episodes this season have the word duel in the title? Oh, you bet your bottom dollar that they did that. Damned if you duel till death, duelist part, duel or die. What else did we have on this season? They're they're incredible. They deserved to be called out. Duel if uh, these duels could talk. Deja duel, dueling for Dunbar. Duelers on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Duality, duel. What you got to duel? Duel unto others. Those are just some incredible names and way to work duel into everything you were doing. But the best of those episodes is the first one. Uh, it has the highest rated, the only one to crack the A tier of episode rankings. Damned if you duel. C.T. Adam fight. Everything C.T. Adam DM that whole mess. The party that preceded it. A really good daily challenge. Ultimately a decent elimination at the very end. Uh, everything across the board. Uh, a lot of entertainment as premiere episodes have the ability to be. This one succeeded. <laughs> We've then got our individual awards the rookie of the season and the full season MVP. Let's start with the rookies. There was a decent amount of rookies on this cast. Let's see here. Who was up for this award? We had, you know, we had an an Isaac making his rookie debut. We had a Nick from Hollywood making his rookie debut. We had Siobhan. We had Brittany. And was that really all that we really had? Man, we didn't have nearly as many rookies as I was thinking when I started talking. So, oh, and Kim, of course, and Kim and Isaac and Brittany are the top three for sure. Kim, Isaac, Brittany—they all make an impact. Nick really, really not doing much in his one episode. But Brittany, of course, is the winner of the Rookie of the Year. It's not—it's not even close. She gets second overall. She does. She wins an elimination. Wins three dailies. You know, gets second in the final is the smartest one there by teaming up with Landon right at the beginning and latched onto that. So even though Isaac and Kim, you know, put up some solid performances for rookies, they, you know, Brittany by just competitiveness makes it all the way to the end and gets the rookie of the season award. That takes us to the MVP though, where no rookies will be found in the MVP discussion for this season. As always, where were you? Gone too soon. The top five ballot. Where were you? Gotta say, Mark Long. Uh, former MVP, not really sure. I mean, he's there the whole season. He does a good job when he does pop up on screen, but he's really in the background. He's just coasting Godfather style. Just everyone loves him. He's competing really well. He's got his strong alliance and he's just kind of not a lot going on uh, outside of that. So, uh, you know, former MVP, not producing a lot. We got to at least put him in the where were you? Just, you know, we got to treat everyone the same, even the Godfather. So he falls there. DM similar, uh, you know, not super at the forefront after some seasons where she definitely is up to and including the dual one um and then jen even i might even throw in here she's always providing a lot she does she provides a decent amount i guess she probably really doesn't belong because for a couple episodes she's really the star between winning eliminations and having the the rachel romance love triangle with anisa so knock her out but mark and dm are the only ones that get any sort of deserved where as for Gone Too Soons, just one, and that's Ryan. Ryan goes off to a hot start this season, and I feel like if he makes it far in this, he's the one that maybe could have provided a lot more entertainment and definitely gotten himself into this top five ballot, which we will get to now a little harder to fill in than uh, most seasons. Again, story-wise, there's just not a ton going on here this season, and it's really carried by a couple of people and some storylines that aren't, you know, Comparatively speaking, that crazy or big or interesting compared to other seasons and compared to certainly the first dual season, which is an unfair comparison, but this is the dual two. What else are we gonna compare it to? But our top five goes like this. Paula comes in fifth. Paula does great this season, good confessionals. You know, she's the focal point of the little bit of, uh, of you know, almost undoing of the major alliance. Ultimately, it's just her on the outs, the Dunbar-Kim-Paula thing, the Evan-Paula thing coming off of the season where she got screwed at the end. She puts up a good performance in the time that she's there, good enough to assert herself onto the MVP ballot. She could almost be a gone too soon, but she was there just long enough and just a week enough of a back part of the ballot that she sneaks onto the actual thing, gets number five. Then in fourth, we've got Anissa, And this is one I I almost wanted to talk about in the storylines of the season, but we'll do it here. I knew this would be coming up. This is where we can do it. Anissa really is one of the stars of the season, if not the star, the kind of back half of the season. She really takes hold of a lot of the story, a lot of confessionals, and uh, it's really a big, big Anissa showing. She does fantastic. She wins three eliminations, she makes it to the final, she finishes that final. It's all really, really great, but it's also a great encapsulation looking back on, one, Anissa, wonderful, amazing, awesome human being, awesome person to have in a challenge house, awesome person to have on a reality television show, but maybe more meant for a real world style than the challenge style because today obviously we're doing this in 2022 we're looking at her coming into season 38 and a lot of challenge fans are like why is she still on the flagship show all these years later she doesn't really have a chance to win and sometimes that's mean sometimes that's you know off base depending how it's said but it's true and i've even said it myself she's not going to ever win a final now or really in the past, this was her best season. That's why it was so interesting to rewatch The Duel 2 and her of like, when you make a niece of the star, you're gonna get a good but not great season because ultimately, she's one of the best role player glue cast members that we've ever had. But those people slid up into the, we need you to be the star of the show, the face of this season, don't quite have it on the level of the people that we would put in that category. And it doesn't go the other way either. Sometimes the massive stars can't really be that, Good as the glue pieces are the kind of secondary storytellers of the season, but this one it you know kind of shows this was she was at her absolute best and she struggles mightily in the final. Uh, and uh, as far as carrying the story in the show, does a good, adequate job, produces a very good, interesting back half of the season with Anissa front and center at it, but it just kind of kind of lets you know and is kind of the clearest encapsulation we've ever had of the kind of difference between the like true these people can be the star, the headliner of the show and these people can be the absolute like glue, solid contributors, pop up for a story for an episode or two, pop back, be a part of someone else's story, pop back and then you have the third crew that you know when we always talk about when we talk about grading a cast, the kind of real duds that don't do anything for the show and Anisa is maybe one of if not the best of all time in that second group of that you shouldn't be the one you're not you're not the mvp of the team you're not you know if we go sports analogy with this you're not the number 1 star on a championship winning team but you're one of the best number 3 stars one of the best starters starter levels in the league that's why she's on the show forever yes though it is kind of interesting to look back and be like at your best she actually says a quote during this uh like I think she says something to the effect of not being able to win or something like that. I'm forgetting it now, but regardless, this is her at her best, and yes, she's going against Rachel, duel to Rachel, no chance of beating her there, but it's just a real good encapsulation of why Anissa is still on this show all these years later because of how good she is and how good she is to production and just what a great glue character she is to have in the house, but it's also a great encapsulation of why everyone is kind of furious that sometimes that she is still on the show because her we want to have anyone there have a shot at winning and it doesn't feel like she has a full shot at winning in the finals. That, that they do nowadays. I've been talking way too long about this. Let's move on to the top three. Third and second, Rachel and Landon for very similar reasons. They both kick ass the whole time competitively. That puts them you know, in confessional booth a decent amount because they're always in power. The storylines revolve a little bit about around them always being in power. Rachel, even actually, we're gonna bump Rachel up to second. Landon back to third because Rachel throws in at least the Anisa Jen, you know, situation that gives us a storyline outside of just kicking ass. But they kick so much ass, they have to be on this ballot. Rachel eventually gets the win and has that auxiliary storyline as well with the romantic element that puts her in number two behind or in front of Landon, who comes in at number three. But the winner hands down, it's not even close, is Evan, for so many reasons. Obviously, he go, he wins the whole season. He wins two daily challenges during the season. He goes 3-0 and in eliminations, and it should be said, three eliminations where he doesn't get the big physical ones the, where he's just overmatched, uh, the other people are overmatched against him. He has to do the puzzle two different times. He has to do, does he do the puzzle three separate times? No, elevator once, the puzzle twice, and all of them verse matchups where he could very well lose, where he'd get called in there and they draw the card they want to draw to try to knock out the eventual champ of the show. When they don't, plus again the 90 plus confessionals to the next closest at 50. He's the narrator of this season. He's always in the driver's seat. He's you know is part of, a, of a, the story as big a part of storylines as anyone on this entire season. This is just kind of the Evan season. And uh, it's good. It produces a really really great season for him. It's a great testament to him, especially obviously with everything that would transpire and him being one of the people banned from this show now and people's thoughts and opinions on the J.E.K. era in general and Evan and Kenny in general. You look at the one season where he's there without those other two where they kind of all bring out the worst in each other a little bit as far as how they act and treat others around them. And he's the lovable guy in the house. everyone has a good time with him. He's driving everything he's has friends and and it's just uh it's just an interesting encapsulation of a guy who we we can never separate any of the other stuff that would come or be known and we you know he's kind of left off now at this point of you know if you talk about the greatest who ever do it and how dominant certain people were, he's just left off because you kind of leave off all the people that have been banned from the show but if, if we didn't leave him off, it's, it's he's about to win another one in a row after this. And this single season here with, with the daily wins, the elimination wins, and the final performance and kind of running the game and getting in with that alliance from the start, which he's the one kind of oddball. It makes sense Mark and Brad are together and that they would loop in Landon. Evan, it, I don't didn't totally get how or where that all came up, that he was such a firm part of that. It's an incredible performance all the way through. It is what it is. Evan is officially a season MVP, the season MVP of the Duel 2. Final thing we must do then. We've broken it all down all the way through, but we've got to give out the final season grade, put it in the Pantheon for all time. Where does this season stack up with the 16 that came before it and eventually with all the seasons that would come after it? We do female cast, male cast, sport grade, show grade. Let's go here with female cast first That's an A-minus. It's one of the better female casts we've ever had. So good that it gets all the way up into the A-tier, the bottom of it. At an A-minus, we've got heavy hitters Rachel, Anissa, DM, Paula, Ruthie, and Katie. Six out of 13. That's great. What's even more incredible, that there's no duds. Everyone else is a solid contributor. Brittany, Tori, Jen, Kim, Brooke, Robin, Siobhan even. I'm putting in the solid contributor. Impactful couple seasons for Siobhan, even if both of them end up only being a couple of episodes. So A minus on the female side, one of the best casts we've ever seen from that half. Then the male side, a little bit lower, but still very good. We put that at a B plus heavy hitters Evan, Brad, Mark Landon, and CT. And what should be noted about that is Evan Brad Mark Landon are the final four. So we only got the five heavy hitters, which is a touch lower, but Four of those five make it all the way to the end or the final four, so that really really helps the season when your biggest names are the ones making it to the end. That adds something to it. Solid contributors MJ Dunbar, Big Easy, Nehemiah, Davis, Ryan, Adam, Derek, and Isaac. The only dud I see in this whole group of the entire male side or women's side is Nick from Real World Hollywood, who nothing against him is just a one episode and done challenge career. There's not a lot to go on there, he's got he can't go anywhere else, but. In the dud category. So with a little more evenly dispersed and the solid contributors, still good heavy hitters. We go B plus for the male, A minus for the females. Then the sport grade. We're going to B for the sport grade. Great dailies all the way through, as we talked about. Incredible dailies, maybe the best collection of dailies we've ever gotten. Just well-oiled, well-run machine here. Pretty cool eliminations, uh, one or two awesome matchups, but really. The same eliminations over and over does get a little stale, and there's not that many great matchups, and there's that that much suspense to a lot of them because there's no the big upsets. We kind of know who's going in every time, we kind of know the results going to be, and so for that reason, even though everything's really really good across the board, we can't go any higher than a B for the sport grade, and then on the show side, that's got to be a C plus. There's really the only the one epic moment, and it's a horrible one with the CT Adam fight. Yes, romance is everywhere, which is good. But as we talked about, we've seen all of them before. We've seen Brad and Tori. We've seen Jen and Rachel. We've seen Dunbar and Paula. That makes it, you know, it's not as fun or enjoyable or interesting to watch as one's brand new that we've never seen before. So that, you know, lowers that impact down. And then honestly, it's just a little boring. There's no no great confessionals or quotes to keep things moving throughout a lot of the season. There's no you know, there's a couple decent parties, but there's no amazing, crazy moments that come out of it. I guess the Isaac toenail thing, but if we're really clinging on to Isaac's toenail being something to really boost, you know, the memorability of the show and the season, uh, we don't got a lot to go on then. So the show grade, it's just it's just a C plus. It just struggles, which brings me to the overall grade, which is a B minus. It makes it into the B tier, and this is where I led this whole podcast, literally led the whole podcast was saying. I was a little bit shocked with what I where I found myself by the end of this rewatch but we got to be honest we're we're not this is not subjective we're not brokers of bias over here this season in my where it falls in my favorite seasons ever if I ranked all the seasons on seasons I liked and appreciated is way higher than where I am putting it right here as far as just objectively which seasons are the best ever because at a B minus, that puts it out of the 17 we've done so far, squarely in the middle at ninth. It falls into the B tier. It's tied with the Gauntlet 2, so it's either at ninth or 10th out of the first 17 seasons. It deserves to be in the B tier in that second tier. Again, if we just go high level, C tier is this is average. Didn't move the show backwards, but it didn't move the show forwards, really. B is this is a really good, solid season. A is this was an all-timer. This pushed things forward. This pushed the envelope. These are the in contention for the best seasons of all time. So this deserves to be in that B tier somewhere, but at the bottom of it with that B minus. It is really good. It's really, really solid, but it gets a little boring, a little flat in the middle, kind of stale almost at the middle. It's impactful, it has a couple memorable, impactful moments for the greater challenge story, it's got the great cast, it's really well run and well produced, which nowadays I really appreciate going back and seeing the seasons that are really, really well produced and well oiled machine, seems like we've got away from that as it's got bigger and bigger and bigger and crazier and crazier, but it's a B minus, that's where it goes, in my heart it's higher. But we're honest brokers over here at the Challenge Historian. These are the official history books. We remove the bias. And I think that bias is mostly just because I love Landon so much and because I I spend an unbelievable amount of time, a crazy amount of time, any amount of time spent on thinking about the fact that I wish Landon would have won this so that we could say Landon is the greatest competitor ever in the history of the Challenge. You probably shouldn't spend more than a couple times uh, when we're watching this series thinking about that. I think about that almost every single day. So I just love Landon, and this season matters so much. It is the moment where Landon loses his shot at the GOAT title, and as just a massive, massive, massive Landon fan, uh, Landon way up there in my favorite competitors ever. Timmy is definitely first, but that top five Landon is certainly somewhere in it. Uh, and so that's probably why I ranked this so high, and then because it has that one moment that you do at least think of, of like, oh yeah, dual 2, CT and Adam, holy shit, how crazy was that, and that we'd eventually get the rival season with them and everything else, CT's story and arc and everything, that kind of bleeds into it, but overall, objectively, rewatching it, it's a B-minus, fits in right in the middle, and I think ultimately when we do all 37 seasons, I think it's going to end up being right there in that middle, middle class somewhere. It deserves to be in the B tier, no higher, no lower. B minus it is, and with that, that's the duel too. That's season 17. It's in the books, which means We're on to season 18. We're kicking back into chronological here. We will have the Ruins for you. If you're listening to this now, by the time you listen, the Ruins might already be out because it's coming out on Monday. So the Rewatch series will continue, will roll on. I appreciate you being here, listening, watching, however you're consuming. It is appreciated. I love you, love you, love you for it. If you think I'm wrong about the rating for the Duel 2, if you think I picked wrong in the MVP or any of the awards or just storylines I missed, favorite moments from this season that I didn't even mention, and you want to let me know. You want to yell at me for it. DMs are open at Challenge and on Instagram, as always. DMs always open. Let's chop it up about the challenge. If you don't mind, wherever you're listening, if you're still listening, hit that subscribe, hit that rating, drop me a five-star. That helps a lot of others follow and find this very podcast and show. We'll be back next week with the Ruins, with the Ride or Dies premiere. Until then... I will talk to you soon. Have a great weekend. Peace.
0: Is your business advertising on the hottest marketing channel of 2023? create a podcast advertising campaign in a matter of minutes and reach more than 92,000 shows only available to buy through Acast, including huge hits like WTF with Mark Maron, Anna is Unqualified, and top publishers like the BBC and The Economist. With Acast's self-serve ad platform, you can take advantage of our exclusive content and reach a captive audience no matter where they're listening. From selecting your target audience to creating and launching your campaign, Acast platform makes it easy to connect with listeners all in one place. Have your business heard on the world's most premium podcast network. Visit go.acast.com slash advertise.